0: The way I want to start things today is with just a simple Bible passage, not one that we looked at there, but rather one that Jesus said in Acts chapter 20 uh, when he said this, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And I'm curious if your heart agrees with that statement. Because if I handed you $1,000 $1,000 of cold, hard cash to each one of you. If I said, look underneath your pews, find an envelope, there's nothing there. But, you know, if I did that, if I did that and said, would you think there's more blessing in giving this away or in using that for yourself? Now what's your heart say? I mean, there's a lot of blessings A $1,000 could get, right? You think about it, $1,000, that's uh, $1,000 bills, that's a lot of nice... Date nights with your spouse, with your husband, wife, significant other, right? Or that's one really nice date <laughs> with your spouse, right? That's a, that's a big blessing. $1,000, that's maybe a, a weekend getaway at an Airbnb for the whole family, some rest, some R&R, unplug. Yeah, that's, that's a blessing, absolutely. Maybe that's a round-trip plane ticket to see a friend of yours who's far away and you, you don't always get out to, to see that loved one, that friend, and you got some money left over. Great, that's good. $1,000, let's see. Maybe you could fix that issue with your car that just seems to be way too much or, or kind of scares you. $1,000, maybe, hey, that's going to chip away at some of that debt that I'm trying to get rid of. That's that's a great thing. $1,000, you know what? I could I could put that into some savings, and maybe over the next several years, that could compound into more and more money in the retirement account. That's a blessing. Even, you know, 1000 wow, hey, there you go. $1,000, maybe you could say, I could I could really get those shoes that I really want, or maybe a whole stack of shoes, but maybe just one pair. I don't know how you are. Maybe you could enhance your wardrobe. Maybe you could get those things that you didn't quite get you're hoping to get for Christmas or maybe, you know Help save up for the really big ticket item that you really want thousand bucks There's a lot of blessings There's a lot of blessings that you probably are thinking of like yeah If I had a thousand bucks this blessing this blessing this blessing this blessing was any of those blessings to give it away Typically that's not something that comes across our head but Jesus says, actually, there's more blessing in giving it away than all those other blessings. And therein lies how tricky this conversation on generosity is, right? When we were talking about a subject like generosity, there's probably any number of ways we could approach it and things we could talk about it. Uh, we could talk about the passages that God says and what he says, and maybe clear up some misconceptions. We could probably talk about the, the what. And the how much, and the percentages, and the proportions, and those would be good things to talk about. We could probably start talking about uh, the stigmas and the stereotypes of a church. Talking about money, because what's the stereotype? What's the stigma? All the church wants is your money, and all they care about is money, and all they want are people so that they can have more money, right? You've probably heard about that, and we could maybe address some of those things. We could probably talk about the statistics, about Christians who claim to be Christ followers and love God and look at the overall giving and realize just there's a lot of problems with that. That would be a good thing to talk about. All of those things. We'll probably, over the next several weeks, discuss maybe some, if not all of those things. But the reason I put a passage like this to start things off is because what I want you to see, what God wants you to see, is that when it comes to generosity, it is not so much... What God wants from you, but rather it's what God wants for you. And you may think, yeah, right, but look at the passage that's up on the screen. It's more blessed to give than to receive. That what Jesus is directly telling you and me is that there is a blessing, a spiritual blessing that he wants you to have, that the only way to unlock that and have that for your life is it comes through generous giving. And for so many Christians, they miss out on it. And Jesus says, I don't want you to. And sure, so we could, we could start this conversation with the proportions and the passages and the percentages of what God says to give. We could, we could do that. We could start with any number of ways. But, but rather, I put a passage like this up here because what I want, to, want you to see is that all those things could be good, but if we're going to have a series on generosity, then we've got to lay a great foundation for that. And first and foremost, what I want you to see is generosity is not about proportions and percentages and, and passages, but primarily, if you want to write this down, generosity is a matter of the heart. It is first and foremost a matter of the heart. Not who, not what, it is a heart issue. And that's exactly what you see in the story of Zacchaeus and Jesus. Zacchaeus was a tax collector, and understand in those days, to be a tax collector was essentially synonymous with being an extortionist. If you were to think of the quintessential job that was the antithesis, the exact opposite of generous giving, it would be a tax collector, greedy and stingy. If you want to be a tax collector in that day, you pretty much had to be okay with your own people canceling you and wanting to have nothing to do with you because what a tax collector was was essentially a local Jewish citizen who would work with the Roman state, the Roman government, to collect the taxes for the Roman oppressors over the Jewish people, right? But the way they did this was they charged exorbitant amounts, above and beyond what the taxes actually were, so that as long as the state got their cut of the money, the tax collectors could just keep whatever is left over, and you can see how corrupt that kind of business would be. It was an absolutely lucrative industry in which a tax collector could just get so rich, so wealthy, by cheating his own people, his own brothers and sisters, out of their money. And what makes Zacchaeus, like, the poster child for greed and tax collectors, like, if you looked up the definition, there's his picture right next to the definition, right, in the the dictionary. Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector. Which means not only is he getting cuts from all the people that he's cheating, but also he's got tax collectors underneath him, and they're probably siphoning him money. He's probably getting a cut from their, their jobs, right? Like, like, he is loaded. He is wealthy. And yet, by the end of this, he goes from being the poster child of greed to the poster child of generosity, propped up by Jesus Christ himself. How in the world did that happen? What exactly happened to change and flip his heart seemingly overnight? And it has everything to do with God's generosity that he shows to Zacchaeus, that he shows to you and me. Luke starts out saying that Jesus is on his way to Jericho. He's, he's on his way to Jerusalem. He's going through Jericho. And at this point in time, Jesus has this like crazy celebrity popular type status. Uh, crowds of people are just following him wherever he goes, probably for two primary reasons. One, he's a rabbi. Two, he's an amazing miracle worker. His teaching is with a new kind of authority, people say, and and it's somewhat controversial, but also deep, and it's not like they've heard of before, and it makes you think, it makes you probe the depths of your heart, your thoughts, it's rich. But also, the miracles, all the miracles, they don't just wow you with their impossible power, but with their incredible compassion, with the grace. Like, he, he heals the sick, he helps out the, the broken, the marginalized, uh, just on his way into Jerusalem, right be- or Jericho, right before this, there were two blind men. Whew. You can now see. All these people that are overlooked, and, and, and you put all this together, word about Jesus spreads like crazy in that day, word of mouth. And he gets to Jericho already with a crowd, and so the Jericho people, they just crowd around him even more. Everybody wants to go out and see this larger-than-life figure Jesus, including Zacchaeus. Whether he was curious or whatever it was, he wants to go see him. But there's one practical problem that Zacchaeus has that I don't have. He's short. <laughs> He's vertically challenged. I don't know what that's like, you know, a lot of times. And, but practically speaking, he can't see. I, I just can't see. There's too many people. Get out of the way. So what does he do? He uses his head and says, okay, I know the route that Jesus has taken. I know the road, whatever it was. So he does something that we would even say is odd, socially odd by our standards today. He climbs a tree. If you grew up with the Sunday school song, it's probably going through your head right now, he climbed up in a sycamore tree. Right, he climbs a tree. Now I want you to just think about this. If you had like we're at a parade event or something, or there was someone going by and everybody's lining the streets and you looked behind you and you saw someone in a tree, you would probably think one of two things. Weird dude, that's odd. That's a little <laughs> that's a little odd. And then you might also think, kudos for you. You you are bound and determined to make sure you don't miss it. And that's where Zacchaeus was at. Call it weird, whatever, but he wanted to make sure that he gets a glimpse of this larger-than-life figure, Jesus. But what he got that day was way more than he bargained for. What happened was Jesus kept going, comes to the spot where Zacchaeus is, looks up in the tree, and this is what he says, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must Stay at your house today. And the question that makes me wonder is, how fast did Zacchaeus get down that tree? <laughs> like, did he just let gravity to kind of take the load and just kind of hit some branches on the way down? I'm okay, it's fine. I, I don't really joke. I mean that. Because this is the point where the whole story starts to turn. What happens right here is absolutely critical for you to understand God's generosity and what happened to Zacchaeus and what's going to happen for you and me. Zacchaeus is not stupid. He is a rich, wealthy tax collector, and he knows. He knows the reputation he has. How could he not? He he knows what people are thinking about him. He knows the gossip grenades that are blowing up when he's out of earshot about him. He probably gets the trash talk to his face when he goes to collect the taxes and cheat people out of money because all they can do is tell him off with words, but he's probably paying off the Roman muscle around him to keep him safe. He, he knows. Makes me think, with a guy like Zacchaeus, how many friends do you think he actually had? Probably not any. When was the last time you think anybody showed interest in a guy like Zacchaeus, a guy like that? When was the last time you think anybody said, "Hey, Zacchaeus, you want to hang out? Hey, come out over to our house, join our family for, for dinner." Hey, Zacchaeus, you got a nice place. Could we do something? You saw how the crowd reacted, right? All the people saw this and began to mutter, "He's gone to be the guest of a yes yeah, sinner." what sinner was reserved for? That was reserved for the lowest people, right? Zacchaeus might have been at the top of the economic wealth ladder. He was at the bottom of the social ladder. Bottom rung sinners and the tax collectors and the degenerates of society and the outcasts and the outsiders. You You don't associate with those people. You don't associate with sinners. Jesus does. In like fact, you might say the whole reason Jesus went through Jericho in the first place was to go talk to Zacchaeus. And he goes right to Zacchaeus and he takes a chance on Zacchaeus, a sinner like him, an outcast, an outsider like Zacchaeus. And then you see how Zacchaeus received him? We're told he at once <laughs> got down from that tree and with joy, with joy. He received him. So much so that he welcomed him to his house. Some commentators say, well, this was an evening meal and an overnight lodging because of the time in the day and whatever it is. It's gracious hospitality, but it's not a story of hospitality. It's a story of a heart that is changing. And you start to see that with his own words. Look at what he says. Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Lord, or excuse me, look, Lord. Now, I want to pause there. The way the Greek has that written, like those two words stand out. Like, there is jam-packed emotion and excitement going on for Zacchaeus. Like, think of just a little kid who is so excited. Look, mommy! Look, daddy! You know, just, like, so excited for something. Look, Lord, look, Jesus! Here and now, I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, and the way the Greek is written, it's not necessarily if I've done it, but, like, whoever I've cheated, because I definitely have cheated people, whoever I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Powerful. But I I want to make sure that you understand just how crazy generous this is. The law in those days required people to give a tithe, 10% of your wealth to charity, let's say, but Zacchaeus doesn't give 10. He gives 50. Likely one of, if not the richest people in all of Jericho, here's half my stuff. Just like that. And not only that, but the law in Numbers chapter 5 says if you cheat someone out of something, in this case, extortion, what, what the requirements are is that you pay back the full amount plus an additional 20% to make the reparations, basically. But Zacchaeus doesn't give 20% on top, he gives 400% back to all of the people that he's wronged and it makes you wonder as he went through his ledger or whatever it was, do you think he had any money left over? But well, more than that, maybe it makes you wonder how excited and crazy in the journey that the gospel has set him on, do you think he cares if he has any money left over? And the question we have got to ask is, so how do you explain that? Like, an overnight, a a change, a 180-degree turn, just like that. How do you explain that? And the only answer that you can come to is that what he found in Jesus was a grace, mercy, compassion, a generous gift that he had never experienced before And it was given to him, no strings attached. What he found in Jesus was clearly worth more than all the treasure that he had, all the zeros in the bank account that he had. You know, he gives it away. And all the the zeros that he could have added to that bank account so easily. No, he found something better. What he found in Jesus was, you might call it a a second chance, what he found in Jesus was a gift of a new relationship. A, a, not even a clean slate, a whole brand new slate of forgiveness of sins and a right right relationship with God, given to him of all people. He knows he doesn't deserve it. And Jesus says, yeah, but I'm staying at your house and we're going to talk and just out of the blue. What he gets, what he found in Jesus was this generosity of grace. And that's what changed his heart. And that is the only thing that's going to change your heart, too. And to understand, like, how how much we have to appreciate this gift, I want to ask you, who in this story do you identify with? or maybe who in the story do you not identify with? Like when you read this over at first, I think nine times out of 10, 99 out of 100 times, people will look at this and just say, yeah, not Zacchaeus, <laughs> because, I mean, like, come on, he's the poster child for greed, he's super wealthy, he's super stingy, he's, he's so greedy, he's cheating, he's a crook, he's a crook, how can I identify with a crook? And therein lies the problem we have with our hearts. Because therein lies the answer of who you do identify with the crowd. I want you to see the problem that we have with our hearts here. Ask this question, why did Jesus stay with Zacchaeus? He's in Jericho, fairly large city, tons of people around, so many so that, that Zacchaeus can't even see, right? He's got he's to go through extreme measures to see Jesus. So why didn't Jesus say to any one of those people, I'm going to stay with you, I'm going to stay with you, I want to stay with you, Hey, can I stay with you? Why didn't he say that? And someone might say, well, it's because Zacchaeus said, like, I'm repenting, and here you go, and here's all my stuff. Yeah, but that was after the fact. Zacchaeus didn't get his attention, hey, Jesus, here's what I'm going to do for you. And Jesus didn't say, oh, okay, I'm going to stay with you. No, Jesus said, before Zacchaeus said a word, I must, I must stay with you, Zacchaeus. So why? Why him? And Jesus gives us the answer in the last verse, verse ten, when he says, "The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost." Now, wasn't Zacchaeus the only lost person there? And was he the only sinner there? Was he the... No, wasn't the crowd lost? Yeah, absolutely. But Zacchaeus was not. He was, had no delusions of who he really was. The difference between Zacchaeus and that self-righteous crowd of people was that he knew better than everybody else who he really was and where he stood with God. Think about about the reaction of the crowd. Why, if you're the crowd, would you use the term sinner? Why would you label someone, he's gone to the house, he's going to be the guest of a, a sinner. Why would you do that if not to distance yourself from such an immoral person? to put them in their own class, but by simultaneously doing that, you're putting yourself in an elevated class, an elevated position. You're putting yourself on a pedestal. You're better than them. And suddenly when you do that, everything goes wrong with your heart. You're essentially saying, well, yeah, he's lost. I'm, lost-ish. I'm, I'm kinda, kinda lost I'm kind of lost. And suddenly when you do that, when you have this flawed understanding of who you are in your heart when it comes to God, you will have a flawed understanding of God's grace and generosity. Because then you start to think, well, you know, when you label other people, tell me I'm not the only one that does this sometimes <laughs> time, right? Like, I didn't do that. And they have this problem, and they got that thing going on, and, and that person just is, so, and I don't do those sins. And, and you know, well, hey, I try to keep my nose clean. I've cleaned up my, my, my act, you know, the sins of my youth, we say, right? Oh, I'm not, I don't do those things anymore and, you know, I'll go through all these things. And by the end of it, you know what your heart is basically saying? God's grace? Well, it's not necessarily a gift, more like it's gift ish. I kind of have some of it coming. Jesus, shouldn't you stay with me today when you come? Shouldn't you stay at my house? Jesus, look what I've done. You start to see the danger of that. You start to see how a warped view of yourself completely distorts and warps the way you understand generosity. And we just sang that song, Amazing Grace, right? Great song. When you don't understand who you are, it's not amazing. It's just kind of like uh, ho-hum grace. <laughs> how okay, the sound. That <laughs> saved a wretch like me. Well, I, wretch? Name calling here. I'm not a wretch. I mean, I'm not perfect, but hey, I, was lost, oh, kind of found my way a little bit, was blind, now I see it, 20-30, 20-30 vision, could we call it that, you know? That's essentially what you're saying. When God's grace no longer becomes the the oxygen, the, the life source that you need, that you cannot live without, but instead, it becomes just simply this thing that, well, it's not the biggest thing that I got going on in my life, and you know, it's good, I can have a little Jesus here, but you know, there's other things. That grace does not become generous at all and our hearts continue to stay unmoved and we wonder why so many Christians today struggle with Christ-like generosity generosity is not first and foremost a matter of passages or percentages or proportions it is a matter first and foremost of the hearts, and when you have the wrong view of who you are, you will completely misunderstand and miss out on the generous gift of grace every time. And you won't respond. But I tell you what, when you take off the delusional glasses, when you see yourself like Zacchaeus, When you look and say, I am him. I am a sinner. I deserve to be the outcast. Like, Like, you stop labeling other people and you realize, no, the only label here is what God should put on me, sinner. God should call me an outcast. God should call me an outsider. When you think of your life and what your sins actually mean, To God. That's when Jesus looks at you and says, I must stay with you today. I'm coming home with you today. How in the world can he do that? How can the perfect son of man say that to Zacchaeus, to you, and to me? After what we've done? And the answer is because he became the ultimate outcast, the ultimate outsider. Think about it. He was the ultimate insider, Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, inside the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. He was with God. He was in heaven, perfection, bliss, and he left it to be born in a manger, a stable, to go to a cross. And on that cross, what happened? He took your label, sinner, Put it on him. He took your sin, and he became sin who knew no sin. Now on that cross, when God turned his back on his son, he became the ultimate outcast. The ultimate insider became the ultimate outsider. You know why? So God could look at you and say the same thing he said to Zacchaeus, salvation has come to this house, to your heart, and you don't deserve it. And he says, I know. Now do you understand generosity? <laughs> and you know the only way that you can respond to that insane act of generosity? Look at kiss. <laughs> And no, I'm not saying give away half your stuff. and give, That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying he responded joyfully and cheerfully with generosity. Okay, pastors, so what are you saying? What does that look like specifically for me? we will come back over the next several weeks. That's what we're going to talk about. We're going to dissect it. We're going to look at some of the more nuts and bolts and other things that God says about it. But first and foremost, before we talk about that, you have to see, you have to dwell on God's generosity because who who else has given you not just 50%, not 70, 100% of everything that he had? Who gave you not more than four times, but more than, more than 10, more than 100, infinitely more than you and I deserve? Who did that? Even when you did all the cheating and he did all the restoring, it's, it's your Savior. It's your God. He did it at his own expense for you. And who are we that God should be so generous to us? And so if you want something to do, if you want to take this home, I pray that you do. I pray that you dwell on it today, tomorrow, and the rest of the week. Here's what I pray that you do. I want you to ponder. I want you to lose yourself. I want you to think about the amazement of how good God has been to you. Laying down his son's life to save you. Lose yourself in that. Ponder that. And if, after doing all of that, your response is anything but joyful, cheerful generosity, And keep your gift. Because God does not want that. He wants your heart. He sent his son to prove it. Because God said it's more blessed to give than to receive. And God so loved the world, boy, did he give. His son. So no, have no delusions. See yourself for who you really are. (laughs) Then you'll see just how generous and amazing God's grace and gift really is to you, take Jesus home until his generosity to you just comes oozing out of you in all that you do. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, I thank you for starting us on a journey through what you say about generosity. And Lord, it's hard. Especially in a materialistic society today that challenges us on so many things, that would say, no, it's more blessed to receive than to give. Lord, this is something that is near and dear to all of our hearts, and it pulls on our hearts, and it is going to challenge us in so many ways. But Lord, whenever we get challenged, whenever we get frustrated, whenever we're not sure, point us back to your grace. For all of our greed, for all our doubts, for all our worries, you've forgiven us for all of that. For all the times that we've been stingy, you've forgiven us for all of that. For everything else, you just continue to pour out your grace. There is no generosity like yours. Melt us. Melt our hearts with that grace. Transform our hearts so that we can see it for what it is. Respond in kind. Give us your spirit to do this. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.